Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We're going to do a little review, which is normal for me, anyhow. I like to do it because it gives me an opportunity to say the things I forgot to say the last two weeks. <laughs> You're not the only one, right? So, we're... Uh, our jump-off scripture is 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So we... We looked at, you know, uh, had you kind of use your imagination and, and think of precious things that you were going to put into a safe, uh, whether that was a, a vault at a bank and a safety deposit box or, or a, more of a safe at home. But what would you put in, in a safe? What's precious? And, and we find in our society that important papers, maybe the deed to the house and, you know, different judgments that we we need to hold on to. Those might be put in for safekeeping. Um, might have jewelry that was handed down from other people or that you purchased, and that would be considered precious. And that would go into some kind of a safety deposit box or a, a safe for, for keeping. Uh, coin collection. You can get a lot of money uh, in old coins that are valuable. Stamp collection. Just was thinking of some things that... <clears throat> We normally think of gold and silver, and, and those are precious. But what we found is that we put precious things in storehouses or lockbox or safes, and God puts precious things in us. And he wants to use us to show those precious things. <clears throat> we looked and we, we saw that if you take something that's precious to you and you buy something with it, that item that you buy then gets that value and it becomes precious because you wouldn't spend precious money on something that was was worthless. Uh, talked about uh, the incident with the McLaren where a little sports car was selling for a, a million one and one of my teachers uh, when I was at Rama uh, was at this restaurant and this car pulled up, and a lot of people looked out the window or went out and looked at it, and were talking about how much it was worth. And, and uh, one of the people that was eating at the table with him, lady said, well, it's not worth it. And, and then followed that up by saying, I would never pay for it, pay that much for it. And both, both statements um, have to be looked at separately. So the first one, it's not worth it, is incorrect, because... It was a limited edition. That means that somebody somewhere had a million one and didn't wind up with a McLaren. They only made, I don't know, 25 of them, 50. I don't know what that limited edition was in that run. But the price that was paid by those people deemed it to be that value. If you put something on the market and you put a price on it and it doesn't sell, you may have out outpriced yourself. It's not worth that to anybody. So the buyer, the people that are willing to buy what you're selling are the ones setting the, the price. Do you have a choice then? You have a choice to either lower the price 
or hold on to it and try and resell it again at a different time. But the other statement that she made is that it wasn't worth it to her. And that may be true. Maybe, you know, buying a little sports car like that wouldn't be worth spending a million dollars on for that person. That's not neither right nor wrong. But God looked at us and saw us and determined that we were worthy to spend that money on. Spend the blood, actually, not money, sorry. Spend the, his precious blood on. So we, we see that the price is set by, by the person doing the buying. We're not redeemed with corruptible things. Got me to thinking that we're not redeemed with things from this universe. What do I mean by that? We're not redeemed with natural things. We have to be redeemed with a spiritual thing. Natural things could not redeem us. Nothing in this universe was costly enough to buy us back. Gold, silver, diamonds. We even talked about the... uh, I believe it was Neptune. There's a, a moon around Neptune that they believe that there's liquid diamonds. Uh, sounds pretty pretty interesting to me. I don't know what you would you know what do you do with liquid diamonds if you can if they set up you know you bake them and then they set up or <clears throat> or what what you do. But anyhow, I'm sure they would be very valuable. And in fact, if you watch. Uh, any uh, sci-fi movies, a lot of them are based on exploring planets and, and mining precious metals and you know, redeeming them and bringing them back to the earth. The word rede- redeem means to buy back or to purchase or to gather back onto oneself. So we couldn't be bought by natural things. We had to be bought by spiritual being. It had to come from the spiritual realm. We're made in the image of God. Got to thinking about this. If if God could have, God could not have sent an angel, because the Bible says that we're in a in a class higher than the angels. The angels are ministering spirits sent forth to help us. They're strong. They're mighty, but they're they're a different creation than than human beings, spirit filled. It couldn't be one of the creatures from around the throne. You know, if you read Revelation, it says that they're, those creatures are pretty weird looking. I mean, they got, you know, different shaped bodies and heads and, and stuff. Not what we're, I shouldn't say weird as in an odd thing, but just different than what we're used to seeing uh, on this earth. If you watch some of the shows on deep sea exploration, every once in a while they'll show an animal and I'm going, Wow, why did God put its head there? You know, <laughs> it's a weird crawling crab or something. And uh, I was in the Gulf of Mexico uh, deep sea fishing, and I caught a hammerhead shark. They're very good eating, by the way. Um, but they're a weird animal. They have kind of their noses very wide, and at the end of their nose or at the edge of their nose, their eyeballs. And like, God, why did you put their eyeballs out there? You know, it should have been anyhow. You know, so we look at that and we, we realize that, that God couldn't have sent an angel to redeem us, to come and live for us. He couldn't have sent one of the, the creatures that are in heaven that serve him, that uh, worship him. He couldn't have sent one of them. It had to be God. We are redeemed by his blood. Anything less wouldn't have paid the price. 
I'm going to go over to uh, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, And I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the book, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and to look upon it. And I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the Lamb that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne the four living creatures, and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which, were the se which are the seven seals of God, sent out unto all the earth. And he came, and he took it out of the hand of God, out of his right hand, of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seal, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with the blood men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and a priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So in Revelation we see that Jesus was the only one found worthy. In fact, there was great sadness until he was until he was found. No one else could have done what he did for us. Angels couldn't have done it. Created creatures couldn't have done it. Man himself definitely couldn't have done it. We, we blew it with, you know, in, in Adam. And once we had fallen, we couldn't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's a misnomer. Nis, nis, you can't get up, raise yourself up. Um, Jesus was worthy to redeem us to the Father. <clears throat> so God sees us in a, as, a, as a pretty valuable and precious uh, people, you know, God doesn't waste his, his, his money. He's not foolish. God doesn't pay a million dollars for something that's worth five cents. God wouldn't have sent the blood, spilled the blood of Jesus if we weren't worthy to be redeemed. Jesus paid a great price, the highest price ever paid. There's nothing that's ever been more valuable than the human race. Remember, the buyer sets the price. He looked at us and said they're worthy of it. 
and, and paid that price. I want to know more about the blood that bought me. I want to know more about the price that was paid. Because as I learn more about the blood and the price that Jesus paid for me, I become more valuable. I see myself as more valuable. It's important how we see ourselves. It's important that we don't, and you know, I kind of jumped out of reviewing, but we'll get back into it again. We talked about in, in the review that we as people set our identity a lot of times on who we are, what we've done, what we're going to do, what we've learned, what school we've attended, those type of things. Um, I was talking with Marshall here. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and we were talking about how men identify um, and place each other. Generally, when you meet somebody new, you'll introduce yourself, hi, I'm Herb, and welcome, or hi, glad to see you. And then within the next three questions, one of them is going to be, what do you do? What is your occupation? What? Because we want to identify and relate to them, and that's how we find that. That's how we, we see that. So we'll ask them, you know, and if they're, maybe they've done a job that we're familiar with. Uh, that helps us to relate to them. Maybe it's a job that we don't know anything about. It gives us an opportunity to talk to them and find out more about it. But we, as people, like to um, like to identify and, and create a, a place of security where we feel confident talking to someone else because we kind of know where they're coming from and we kind of know their background. You know, God saved us <clears throat> from a useless and a worthless life. First Peter, when we were reading, talked about that um, <clears throat> we were living a futile life. A lot of other translations say a wasted life, not like in smoking wasted, but in just a waste of time not accomplishing anything, not of any eternal value. Uh, millions of people will live their lives out and go to their grave and never accomplish anything of, of noteworthiness. They'll never build a relationship with Christ. And that is the, the only reason that, that gives us any value is once we accept Christ and start building a relationship with him. God didn't call us to live wasted lives. He wants us to live for eternal effects, things that matter. We've been saved from a useless life. 1 Peter 2.9, 2, let's go over there. I mentioned the other day that these aren't the words of of Peter, or if, we read, or if we're reading one of the epistles that Paul wrote, it's not Paul's words. These are inspired words of God through those people. And 1 Peter 2, 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And we saw last week where we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. We've been moved from one to another. Some translations call this generation. 
will say you're a chosen generation. Unfortunately, we think of generations as time. So we have a picture of five generations of, of family. So we'll have uh, different, you know, age groups, uh, grandma, mom, great-grandma, daughter, you know, and we'll have the different generations. That's not the correct uh, translation here. It is a race or a, uh, some people refer to it as an alien race. We're not of this world. And we can look in, in other scriptures and see that God calls us to be separated out of. We're a rare people. We're not found in large numbers. You knew I'd work this in sooner or later, the population of the earth. <laughs> right as a Friday night, which, by the way, if things keep going, um, February of 2023 will hit 8 billion. End of January, beginning of February. So we add about 80 billion people a year to the population of the earth. It's kind of what's been track recording. So if we look at that number and we, we, uh, we look at some polls, and there's some good ones out there. The Pew Research uh, is a reputable poll, and they say about 30% of the world identifies as Christian. And wow, that's great until we start realizing that in that generic description is a, a lot of people, when they're asked, are you a Christian, they think, well, I'm not Muslim, and I grew up in the United States, or I grew up in a country that, you know, was J-O, thank you, uh, <laughs> along the, the, the Christian values. Um, so a lot of them don't go to church. A lot of them don't believe that Jesus really came and died. They may take part in Christmas because it's kind of a fun thing and, and in time when family gets together and gives gifts. So we break it down. We're probably about a billion people, about one out of ten that are actually what we would say have a relationship with, with Christ and know him. So when we look at that, we can see why God calls us rare. We're not the, the common. We're not the normal. In all of time, in eternity past, present, and eternity future, there's never been another you. There's never been another person exactly like you. There may be some people that look physically similar, but there's never been an, an, another you. You are one of a kind. We are precious. The devil wants you to believe that you are nothing. You're just an animal, one of billions on a small planet, in a universe of planets. And if you look out at the stars, there's more stars out there than there's sand on the sea. So it's easy to, to see that you could can be considered insignificant, but because of the blood of Christ, we are redeemed. Some people live and die for nothing. He wants you to believe those lies, that you were made just as an animal, no more, no less. But God tells you that you are made in his image and that you're worthy to be redeemed. The blood of God, the life is in the blood. So the life of God redeemed you. Think precious stones, metals, costly items. Think about precious as being something that is rare. We should change the way we see ourselves. From nothing to something. I am someone in Christ. 
in the, in the eternal family of God. Call yourself what he calls you. Never call yourself a nobody. He paid a great price for you. Let's go over to Acts 10.10. 10. So most of you know this story. Is uh, Peter's hanging out on the rooftop, and it says that he became hungry and was dreaming of eating. How many have ever dreamt of eating? <laughs> you know, three or four days before Thanksgiving, you're thinking, oh, you know, you can see that turkey, you know, or T-bone steaks or whatever your custom is. So he he, he was dreaming of, of eating. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And behold, the sky opened, and a certain object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again the voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened to him three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. And if you remember the rest of the story that Peter from there went and uh, ministered unto the Gentile people because he believed that God had revealed to him that the Gentiles were no longer unclean or common. The word common means ordinary, standard, just run-of-the-mill, what you would expect. Unclean is vile and unpure. Up until this time, the Jewish people had considered Gentiles to be ordinary, standard, the Jews were special because they had the God, God Yahweh. The Jews looked at the Gentiles as, like they do, lepers, unclean. They wouldn't associate with them. They wouldn't have any doings with them. They wouldn't eat with them. They might buy something from them but they, or sell something, but they wouldn't sit down and have a meal and fellowship together. They considered them vile. Have you been considering yourself common, unclean, unworthy, vile, ordinary? Jesus didn't think so. He shed something very precious for you. And we see that, you know, Paul got the same revelation a different way, but he went out and started ministering to the Gentiles also. Because we looked at last week, God's intent was never to have just the Jewish people as a nation. His intent was to have other people see the blessings of God on, those, on that nation and want to have that same God and want to have that same. And that's how he, he is with us. He wants us to see ourselves as being blessed, as being special. Because if we don't, we won't take time to fellowship with him. We won't take time to um, see things happen in our lives 
that will bring glory to him. <clears throat> the Gentiles were no longer unclean, but fellow heirs. They now qualified for the same thing that the Jewish people did. <clears throat> Let's go to verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has showed me that I should not call any man unclean or unholy. So we shouldn't look at people that don't know Christ as lesser people. We should look as an opportunity to invite them into the goodness of God. Let's turn over to Judges Joshua. No wonder it didn't look right. <laughs> They're blowing trumpets, and I'm like, wait, wait, that's not in my notes. <laughs> this story you're going to know. This is Gideon. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak, which was at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the son of somebody. As his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midians. So two things, look at that. One, verse in the very beginning of verse 11, it says, the angel of the Lord. Now, in this passage, a lot of theologians believe that this is Christ before he came uh, and has, has come as the angel of the Lord. Other people that believe that it was just an angel of God that has come as a servant. But either way, we'll, we'll see later that um, that angel represents Jehovah. So Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press. Does that seem odd to anyone? You know, if you watch The Chosen and we see one scene where um, Peter's wife is treading out the wine press, and it's next to the house under a covered porch, um, kind of secluded, and to keep dust and dirt from being blown into the grapes so that as they're treading out and making wine, that doesn't get mixed in, um, trying to keep it as sanitary as possible, where a threshing floor was normally at a place where the wind blew either a hilltop or some type of an area where wind would blow through because as you're threshing, you want the, the outer husk to be blown away and only the good grain to fall back onto the ground. So he's doing this. He's trying to hide the harvest from the Midianites. And the Midianites have, have been raiding and coming uh, at harvest time. You know, why harvest it yourself if you can get the people to harvest it and then come steal it from them? So they were coming after the harvest and, and taking all the, the produce and, and raiding the land. And so Gideon was in this secluded area 
trying to keep the Midians from seeing that he had grain and was trying to, to process some of the and, and wheat and grind it out. He was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midians. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where all are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? And now the Lord has abandoned us and given us unto the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him. Wait a minute, we went from the angel of the Lord to the Lord looking at him and said. And either way, and we're not going to build a doctrine around this. It's just uh, something of interest that we can see that Christ was involved all through the ages. And the, and the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And then Gideon comes back and says, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least of Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and I shall defeat the and you shall defeat the Midian as one man. And then we know that Gideon goes on to put out some tests for, uh, you know, to make sure that he's hearing from God. And that was an, an Old Testament thing. We live in a New Testament and a new covenant. And the number one way God's going to lead his people is through the Spirit and through t talking to us, giving us, whether it's peace, um, you know, Dad Hagen has a book on how to be led by the Spirit and has several different examples how God led him. But f using tests and, f and natural fleeces are not, um, are not the highest way to be led. But we see here that um, Gideon doesn't see himself as a mighty warrior. He sees himself as one of the lowest in the, the family uh, of Manasseh and his tribe, and yet the Lord refers to him as a mighty man of valor. The Lord doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. He looks on the inside. People see themselves from what they've accomplished, what they think they can accomplish, but God sees us from the inside. We see the natural, the ordinary, the common. The Lord is with you. We have that promise also. He said he'd never leave us or forsake us, but would always be with us even to the end of the age. Verse 14, again, Jehovah talked to him as he was a mighty man. God sees you redeemed, sees you through the blood of Christ. Even when we miss it, we know that we can go, go to God and ask for forgiveness and that God sees us through that blood that was sacrificed. Verse 15, Gideon is, is saying he can't defeat the Midians by himself. I think Gideon liked what God was proposing. He wanted to avenge. He had lost two brothers to the Midians. They had, had probably fought against the Midians and had been slain. So Gideon was liking what this plan looked like, but he wanted to make sure that, you want to use me? 
I'm the one you want to work this plan through. I'm the one you want to preach the gospel through. I'm the one you want to lay hands on people and see them recover. I'm the one you want to have go out and tell people that God loves them. We struggle with that. We think, that, hey, that's great for somebody who's, you know, maybe a pastor, maybe somebody that, you know, else, but me? Um, so Gideon's at that place where he's saying, hey, I like this idea. I'm all for it. You sure you want to use me? <laughs> you sure it's not that other bigger guy over there or something? We need to recognize that only through God can we do what he has called us to do. We're not asking or not being told that we're going to do this by ourselves. In fact, God wants us to rely on him. He wants us to seek him. Verse 16, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're not without God. He is in us and we are in him. And now we can show the goodness of God to others. Let's look at Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So Gideon found out that he was qualified. He didn't think he was. We may not think we're qualified, but when we trust in God, he qualifies us. He's delivered us from the, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us out into a totally different kingdom. We, know, we need to know what he has done for us, believe it, and act on it. If we just read it and we say, that sounds good, that's as far as it'll go. But when we know it, and we believe that God can use us, and we act on it, when God, you hear that little voice saying, why don't you pray for them? And you want to argue in your, in your mind, you know, well, is that you? Why would I pray for him here? Why would I pray for him now? God's qualified you. He wants out of the box. We're hearing that from a lot of different sources that, you know, we put God in a box and we bring him to church and we open the box and let him out for a couple hours and then put him back in the box and take him home with us and wait till Wednesday night. If we come Wednesday night, maybe, you know, we do, maybe we don't. Maybe we come the next Sunday, but I uh, hope God likes that box because he's in there a whole lot. <laughs> he wants out. He wants to and and is getting out. And we're starting to see things. Um, Andrew Womack says we are in the third awakening and I want to see that I want to see God use me I want to see God use other regular ordinary people to change lives it's not up to you to heal the person he's just asking you to pray for him 
uh, I had a, an acquaintance of, that I don't know very well, but um, we were laughing. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Um, and he says, it hurts to laugh. My rib hurts. And so I... Uh, I said, well, I've, I've popped a rib out before. I know how painful that is. That can, you know, it hurts just to, to sometimes breathe deeply, let alone laugh or, you know. And he said, yeah, I had a motorcycle accident uh, years ago, and it messed up my rib, my part of my back. And when he said that, I, I heard God say, why don't you pray for him? So we con conduct, finished our, our business that we were conducting, and I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. And so I did, I don't know if you attended Pep's little um, meetings that he had out. In the, so I got in front of him and prayed in tongues for just 15, 20 seconds. I already knew what I was going to pray for, he told me. And God, you know, told me that, pray for his back, pray for his ribs. And when I did, I could feel the, the power of God going into him through me. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't feeling particularly holy. <laughs> wasn't feeling particularly, you know, and I'm waiting to hear back the results. But when we step out and what we do, what we are asked to do, God can start building in us the confidence to do more. Gideon started out by believing God and following him, assembling people, an army together. And then, of course, we know that God weeded it down and went through different steps because, one, he didn't want Gideon and the people of Israel to claim that they did it through their might. We finally got together and we re repelled the, the Midians. We should have done this years ago. We, we could have done it. We, 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 who's getting the honor? You know, God said, uh-uh, you're going to do this with about 300 men. And in the natural, that wouldn't have been possible. Let's look at John 1, 12. We're going to run out of time before we run out of notes. Mark, can I go long? <laughs> oh. John 1.12 But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. So if you believe in the name of Jesus and ask him to be Lord of your life, you've been translated into a different kingdom. You become one of his children. And that's how we need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves not as a human being who is a whatever occupation or, or duties that you do, but we need to see ourselves as we're children of the Most High God. That's where our, our, our identity needs to be. He loves us. He cares about us. He wants to be involved in our everyday lives. And the more we open up our lives and listen to him and follow him, the more he'll show himself and be mighty in us. I like what Jim Hockaday was talking about, that he's seeing God just do little things. Yeah, just, you know, 
helping him find two golf balls instead of just the one that he lost, you know, just little things like that, just being involved in his life. Uh, how exciting is it to go through a, a day and, and see God multiple times do things for you or, or bless you or just want to, to make your life happier and better? So we see that if you believe in his name, you're now one of his children. Put your identity in that. That's who you are. Don't put your identity in what you've done, good or bad, failure or success. It's who you are in Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.